Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211, Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome to Late Lunch this Thursday afternoon. Great to have you with us on the show. Lots between now and half past three this afternoon. Burke's banter is back. Sinead with a caustic look at life. It's brilliant today, I promise you. My focus on Thin Lizzy continues. Their story and one of their greatest songs ever, in my opinion. Uh, We'll also be having a chat with Sean Collins today. A hundred years ago, April, Ireland, 1921. An awful lot happened. Dr. Mary O'Kane is here. She's brilliant. I have her new book here beside me. If you're a to-be parent or a parent of children of all ages, Perfectly Imperfect Parenting is the name of the book. It's fantastic. We're going to be chatting about it here after two o'clock. If you want to get in touch with me on the show, don't forget the usual numbers. 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me to the show. 1850-715-758. 958 if you'd like to call in. Now my first guest today, sure I'll never forget him. I met him when he was walking around Ireland and then he climbed Kilimanjaro with a washing machine on his back. Yes he did folks, but I never knew much about him besides that to be honest. He's a teacher, an endurance athlete, a motivational speaker and mental health advocate. And I'll tell you folks that he quit drinking about 12, 13 years ago. However, sobriety has proved challenging during the pandemic. I'm delighted to say hello again to Enda O'Doherty. Hello, Enda. Hey, Jerry. How are you keeping? I'm keeping very well. I can still see you. I still have that picture of you on the, the thing on your back. <laughs> Honest to God, it's one of those images that actually never leaves you. You're a mighty man altogether. Listen, let's get straight to this. Tell them, sure. w- when did you quit alcohol? Was, am I right, 12, 13 years ago about? So it's coming up on 14 oh, years it? and right. it will be um, the 10th of November at 10 o'clock. And it was a friend of mine, you know, who's involved in, in addiction studies. He said, you know, when you ask someone when was their last point, someone who says they've given up and, you know, they say, oh, it's, ye- it's ages ago now. They probably haven't given up, he said. But when you can tie it down to the minute, the day, you know exactly where you were. So, um, yeah, I finished playing a tennis match one night full of adrenaline, couldn't sleep with the adrenaline, did my usual, poured a, a you know, a large glass of brandy and milk. Uh, because I had read somewhere Brendan Bean drank it, Jerry, and if it was good enough for Brendan Bean, it was good enough for me. But um, between the brandy and the adrenaline, I had a terrible night's sleep, and I, I woke up the next morning and I said to my wife, that's it, I'm done. 
And um, little did I know that um, that's when hell became reality for me because, you know, like a lot of people listen to the show this morning, you know, they self-medicate and particularly during COVID people did because I, I was unaware that I had um, depression. I was unaware that I had panic disorder, that I had sleep disorder, that I had a million things wrong. And um, I was fixing those problems by drowning them nearly every night. You know, I mean, um I was probably drinking, Jerry, about four bottles of whiskey a week, maybe three or four bottles of wine, 10 or 15 pints, which is a huge amount of alcohol. Um, but, you know, we have this idea of an alcoholic, you know, that it's the fella living under a bridge in mm. a cardboard box, you know, eating kebabs out of a bin. Uh, I probably would still eat the kebab out of the bin. I love my kebabs. But, um, <laughs> you know, as an alcoholic, um, I know you can see me there in the studio on screen, but I, I would arrive in work suited, booted. You know, the guy who's groomed, you know, pristine iron shirt. I was first in, last out, permanently smiling and in great form. But the truth was I was dying in slow motion. I was, I was, you know, it was slow motion suicide. It was going to happen at the rate I was drinking. You know, my health was going to go and um, that would have been it, you know. Mm, and uh, that is some amount of alcohol that you described there. So you had a real problem. And you remember the, the 10th of the 11th at 10 o'clock. Isn't that amazing that you can just, uh, at 10 o'clock, you can pinpoint that actual date and time. I read somewhere about you, I'm nearly sure in the past, that you envisaged your passing. It was that serious. Did Did you do that actually, yeah? Yeah, well, do you know, it's, 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 God, it's even difficult saying it now because it's, it seems like somebody else. But, you know, if you, have you ever been at a party, Jerry, or I'm sure when uh, LMFM have won all, all the awards around you, you know, the awards ceremony when the cameras are flashing and you get that red dot in front of your eyes, you know, that, that <laughs> yes. feeling. Um, it, it's a terrible thing to say, but, um, for, I'd say for a period of a good four or five weeks, every time I closed my eyes, I saw my own memorial card and I saw my own mass, you know, and I, I planned my own demise and, um, because I, I had lost all happiness, you know, that you, you can lose money on, on, on horses in Cheltenham and you might get a few quid back or, you know, you can lose the hair and you can always get a transplant or, you know, but like losing your happiness and your mental health, you know, most people don't put a premium on it until it's gone and then they realise how valuable it was to them. And, um, you know, for me, this, like I wasn't sleeping. I didn't sleep for three or four months. I was, you know, very, very, very depressed, very anxious and couldn't see a way out. Um, you know, ironically there, I know you're, you're, I, we're on webcam here. Your viewers can't see it, but I wrote a book about it and it came out there at Christmas called I'm Fine. And I don't know if you can see there over my shoulder, the, for your viewer or listeners, the title of the book is I'm Fine, but the photograph underneath is clearly me screaming and I wasn't fine. And, yeah. you know, my mental health message was this, that so many times in life, you know, someone in your studio there, lovely Louise or someone in reception or one of your presenters, you know, you meet them in the radio building there and you say, how are you getting on? How are you? And, you know, we have an Irish thing of saying, you know, I'm grand, I'm yeah. fine. And the truth was, I, I was days or hours away from taking my own life. And, um, you know, the washing machine, as mad as it sounds, Jerry, <laughs> it did have a meaning. I mean, I was saying to people, don't carry a hidden load around. Don't carry something heavy that could cost you your own life. You know, if you need help, uh, if you're in trouble, ask for help. You know, share the load was our message with the washing machine. And I think we'll both agree it was the most stupid thing I could I could, I could have carried around the country. No, but when you actually explain the significance of it and the symbolism there, my God, it really does even dawn on us more when you, uh, you know, we know what a washing machine does. But here's the thing. On that date, the 10th of November, what just prompted you? Was there something you've been describing as you were approaching that point and you couldn't go on and you envisaged your, your end? Was there something that just said, this is it? And cold turkey, was it? Immediately, that was it. 
Yeah. And, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they're, they're struggling with alcohol, you know, what I did was completely wrong, irrational, unsafe. Um, you know, looking back now, I should have got medical attention. I should have had counseling. I probably should have been on some medication. It's a very dangerous thing to stop drinking a large amount of alcohol. Um, yeah, I, I just started, decided to stop. I'd love to tell you, Jerry, you know, I woke up in, in the riverbank and, you know, there was a, a wild dog. I'd love to have some dramatic story for you. But the truth is, um, and anyone who has a partner in life will know this tone of voice. So I said to my wife that morning, I'm done. I'm finished. And she said to me, oh, that's great, love, are you? And anyone who's in a relationship will know that tone of voice because what she really meant was uh, not in a million years could you stop drinking. And um, it was a challenge. And I suppose, you know, I, I sat in a pub a few years later and someone said, there's no way you could carry a washing machine up the top of Kilimanjaro. And away I went. Or someone said to me, there's no way you could walk from Belfast to Waterford doing nine marathons in eight days carrying a washing machine. And I did. And I suppose, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable talking to you about my alcoholism and my mental health struggle because, you know, it, it, what I really discovered on this journey is that very often our greatest weakness in life, our greatest strength, it's, you know, it's actually our superpower. You know, so I, like my natural tendency is to be addicted to anything. Jerry, if you leave me in a room with snakes and ladders, come back, I will have every video, bought books on Amazon, have strategies, practice 10 hours a day. <laughs> I, I just get obsessed with things, right? That's me. But I love me now. But the only thing now is, you know, and, and if, we, if someone's listening to this and they have an addiction issue, whatever the addiction is or whatever the, the problem is, you know, it, it can be a real blessing because I'm obsessed with, you know, my health. I'm obsessed with fitness. Uh, I'm obsessed with my family. I'm obsessed with my career as a speaker. Like I, I work as a, a as a motivational speaker now, like in the last like since lockdown, I've, I've worked with AIB. We had two and a half thousand people on a webinar the other day. I worked with uh, Microsoft Middle East and Africa. Um, you can see my Gansey there. I, I got to work with Leinster Rugby. And, you know, if you told me when I was sitting in a garden shed secretly drinking whiskey that, you know, fast forward a few years, you'd have a book out. I'd be on LMFM talking to you, you know, that that I would have met the most amazing people and have the most amazing journey. I, I'd have said you're mad, you know, but, mm. you know, people need to realize that, you know, if you're listening to this or and you're going through the darkest, toughest time right now, and people are with COVID, Jerry, and, and I know, listen to the program there the last few mornings, you know, you, you have people under real financial pressure, mental health pressure, but it's important that people realize that, you know, in the darkest, most horrible storm, that behind it, there's truly beautiful sunshine. And you mm. just have to, you know, like me, as I walked through Drogheda, uh, just put one foot in front of the other, even if you have a washing machine on your back and you'll get there, you know. And, uh, you know, the washing machine message was share the load, ask for help. But I suppose there's a subplot too, Jerry, and it's particularly poignant in this times we're living in. You know, the guy who's smiling and laughing or the girl who's smiling and laughing is in grey crack. Tragically, that's often the person you get, a, you know, a terrible phone call to find out that, you know, they've, t they've taken their lives. Yes. And I think we all have a duty, you know, to pick up that phone, ask someone if they're OK and ask them a second time mm. or to you know, send that text. And we can't call into people. But, you know, as soon as we can, I tell you, anything that moves is getting a hug from me, Jerry, and everyone I know is getting a visit because it's been tough. It's been really hard on us all. You know, yeah. um, I, I really... You know, I really struggled. You know, it's a funny thing. At the start of the conversation, you said to me, how long are you sober? And I, I, I didn't tell you the truth. The truth is I'm sober today. I'm just happy with today. And I don't want to sound like a, a corny uh, Western, you know, one day at a time. I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sound like that. But the fact is, for me, it's an ongoing battle. Uh, it's not like the flu or it's not like, you know, horrendous diarrhea that, you know, I'm, I'm over it now. It's me for life. And um, I have to be careful for life. But like I say, it's 
you know, it was tough times, it was hard times and lockdown was hard to stay sober. But the benefits, you know, the joy my family have, the professional, you know, career that I have now, you know, it's it's great to be sober. And it's I'm, I'm an extremely amazing grateful. story. It really is. So you were tempted, you were challenged during this last 14 months or so. And what you're saying to me basically is that you take this one day at a time. That is it. You're, you're a long way from uh, that November day at this stage, 14 years ago. But it, it's a day at a time. Were you genuinely challenged? Could this have broken down in the last 14 months? Oh, easily, Jerry. Easily. Like, I mean, it's funny. I, I, I haven't had a drink for whatever, 14, 15 years in November. But like, Jukers, like, uh, I, I, I can tell I can tell you in great detail what Chianti smells like and the bubbles coming up to the top or my sanguinatore, my plastic bubble, my plastic bowl dancing on the bottle. You know, I, I loved my alcohol. I loved the taste. I loved the, you know, the crack, the madness that yeah. most people can cope with attached to alcohol. I loved all of that. And I, and, 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 and it's, it was like your best friend passing away. But I do know, you know, if I started drinking, say I said over lockdown, Asher, look, one glass of wine with your dinner is not the end of the world. You know, I know at some stage in the future, I'll end up back having to detox and I'm not sure I could survive it. You so know? you would have been away. Um, You're saying to me actually that if you take one, you really feel that you'd be on the slippery slope and you'd have to go back and go through, you know, a process yeah. again to get back on track. Yeah, I spoke I spoke with a with um I spoke with a company the other day and then they had asked me to speak about mental health and about um addiction and you know I, I they asked me what was at the core of addiction and I said right in the middle of it for me is dishonesty. So I lied to family, I lied to friends, um, I lied to my colleagues in work, I lied to everyone to get more alcohol and to hide the amount of alcohol I was drinking. But the biggest lie, the number one lie and the person I lied to most often was me. And, you know, the honesty is what keeps me sober. You know, I, I would tell you a strange story. <laughs> my wife had to go into hospital. Um, incredibly, she found a 14 pound tumour on her womb. Now, thankfully, it was benign and she had to have a hysterectomy. And, you know, the night before the hysterectomy, she said, you know, I was very quiet. She said, are you worried about me? And I said, yeah, I am. I said, but I'm worried about something else, too. And she said, what? I said, I'm worried when you're in hospital for the week that I'll, that I'll have a drink. And she said, oh, my God, don't tell me you will. And I said, no, I won't because I've talked about it, because I've expressed how I feel and I'm, fr- I'm facing up to that demon, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I, I can guarantee you there's people listening to, you know, like listen to your show, like alcohol will, will you know, it's, it's a fantastic thing and it's, it's part of Irish culture. But for some people, it'll ruin their lives. And, you know, for me, I see alcoholism and I see suicide and, you know, it's a bit like, you know, if you throw a big rock into a pond, Jerry, those ripples spread out and you don't, you know, anyone listening to this who's living with someone who has an addiction problem or who's lost family or loved ones to suicide. It's, um, you know, it's heartbreaking. It's 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 so tough and it affects everyone around them, you know. Yeah, that's a, a, a perfect analogy, the way the ripples uh, move out from uh, the heart of the problem. Do you welcome then the move that's on at the moment by government to have a minimum price for alcohol? Do you think enough has been done in the area of education? You know, when you think back of yourself and the stage you reached in your life, looking at that now, have you any thoughts on what can be done? I suppose, you know, I think it's important that we drink less alcohol for our physical health and it's important for our mental health. But I think each person, you know, like I I had a great chat with my wife one day and I said, why did you never tell me to stop drinking or cop myself on or do, you know, and she's a very clever woman. Um, She said to me, we're all responsible for ourselves. She said, you had to save yourself. You know, if I had stopped drinking, you know, for her or stopped drinking for someone else or, you know, it would have lasted a week or a month. But the fact that I went 
cold turkey and the fact that I went sober for me because I know I had to. She said that meant that you'd stay sober. So in answer to your question is minimum pricing. Look, I, there's no panacea. You can't flick a switch and fix something like this. I think what we do need to have as a country is honest conversations about, you know, Pre-COVID, we were losing eight beautiful young people to suicide every week in this country. Mm. And people weren't, you know, come darkness into light happens and people will talk about it for a week or two. But, you know, we were push, brushing it in some areas. We're brushing it under the carpet. We're not dealing with the issue. And I think post-COVID, we're certainly going to have, you know, huge mental health issues because people have literally gone through the most horrendous trauma, you know. Yes. And um, and people using you know, alcohol as a crutch uh, to see themselves through this. We know this, that there's a lot more drinking yeah. has gone on at home as well. So it's going to exasperate the, uh, the problem also. I want to just ask you this because time will beat us in a minute. You were obviously obsessive, you know, in the way you drank. But you've been yeah. obsessive subsequently in all those things you mentioned that you become involved in, right? So yeah, what I'm trying yeah. to do is make the link. Is it necessary then when you go cold turkey or you stop in whatever way to become obsessive for other things in life that opens up marvellous vistas? I think, I think, you know, the key thing that I recognise, Jerry, and, and, you know... I used to hope I'd have a good day or be happy. Hope, you know, the way, you know, the way you go into the radio station and, and all the timings fall in place and all the ad, ads work and all the guests turn up on time. I know it never happens on live radio, but, <laughs> you know, you know, the way you, you, you hope today's a good day. Um, I, I one of the things I learned was I stopped doing that, you know, hoping that you're going to be happy is, is, is you know, I'm, my happiness isn't potluck anymore. Like I spend time with people who inspire me, who care for me, who love me, who make me happy, who who challenge me, who push me. I take exercise every day. I, you know, nobody I know puts cheap petrol into their car because they value that engine. I don't put cheap food or, you know, artificial products. I try to eat healthy. I try to eat seasonal. I try to eat local. Um, you know, I'm glad we're doing a morning call, Jerry, because I'm out cold asleep most nights before nine o'clock at night because my sleep is crucial to my mental health and my happiness. Um, you know, I get out of bed early in the morning and that guarantees I don't need a sleeping tablet tonight. And I could go on and on. We could do a whole piece on, on, on your happiness and mental health. But what I'm saying to you is this is that, you know, don't leave it to chance. You know, you know, the, the average person listening to this, I don't want to depress your <laughs> listeners today, but the average person listening to this lives 28,000 days. That's a shocking number. That's all you get. And it doesn't matter how much lycra you own or how much quinoa you eat and how many bikes you have. Yeah. 27,000 days on average is what you get. So for me, you know, those days are so important that we fill them with kindness. We fill them with happiness. We fill them with challenging ourselves, with learning, but but that we grow as people. And um, yeah. like, I'm very grateful to have gone from you know, the end, what I saw, the demise to where I am now. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm so, so grateful. It's a for it, wonderful, you know? wonderful journey. Before you go, let me read this. It's been worth this chat for this alone. Robert's been on to say, thanks for allowing Enda, his voice to be heard today, Jerry. It was words and encouragement I needed to hear today. Thanks a million. That's from Robert. Isn't ah, that just brilliant. lovely? That is yeah. brilliant. And uh, listen, I have, have, to, have to leave it there today. And I want to m- remind listeners about this book because it is fantastic and it is widely available. I'm fine. Thoughts on life, addiction, love and health. And uh, you'll pick it up at the bookshops, pick it up online or whatever by End O'Doherty. We'll be talking again. You're a fantastic fella. 
Jerry, thank you so much. And if anyone would like to get a signed copy, all they have to do is go to endo.doherty.ie and it'll be in the post in less than 20 seconds. There you Jerry, are. have a great day and thank you, you for having too. me on. I'm delighted. Thanks, Endo. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Endo Doherty there, a wonderful, wonderful guy. Mead Crime Prevention have just been on to us there to say that if you're in the Gibbstown area in County Mead, there are bogus tradesmen calling to houses as we speak. So in Gibbstown, if somebody calls to your house offering to do work or... Uh, help you uh, around the place have nothing to do with them that's just come out in the last while there from the uh, Mead crime prevention people so take note Gibbstown area at the moment beware Louise you were telling me a story about a fella in the UK that achieved something with parking his car I, I, come on yeah, remind me it's again it's great um, yeah a shopper in East London he spent six years making sure that he parked in every single car parking spot in the supermarket must be in a huge car park yeah, it doesn't say that... It must be big. Oh, he, maybe he went every... Uh, 211 spots. Okay. So maybe he went once yeah, or twice Yeah, yeah, he was there. God almighty. There's another way you normally go. He just noticed he normally parked the in... things that people obsess about. Isn't that mm-hmm. just incredible? I it was Isn't it incredible? No, no, no. Good luck to him. He do you was... not sit in the same space or park in the same space or anything, no? I do. There you go. <laughs> so he went into spaces where people usually... Usually parked. Would you be annoyed by that? I do park in the same space, especially when I go to Tesco, and that's a huge car park, as mm. you know, at the extra there. But do you know why I park in the same <laughs> space? Why? Because I came out the store one day and I couldn't find my car. <laughs> I couldn't. Don't be laughing at me. I couldn't find my bloody car. Honest to God. And I got into a panic then. I thought it was robbed. And how long? Did it take you to find it? I thought they had to put this trolley back in and I started down here where I normally park now. And it was jammers this day. And Jesus, eventually I found it. And I went, oh, holy God. So now you see, I, I might be necessarily in the same the space, round the same spot. You know right. what I mean? I parked the car. That was like the time we were in Disney in Orlando in the, the, the millennium year. And we hired a car, parked it one morning in the car park and we came back to get the car. And it was nearly dark. We realised there was 10,000 other cars, the same make, the same model and the same colour. <gasps> and I'm going to beep, 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 trying to find the bloody car. Oh, don't start me on I that. I know that in the, in the car park, you know, you're off coming from holiday and go yeah. to the airport car parks. Yeah. And if you don't take note of the number where you're parked. Very true of the car park. That's another thing as well. Oh, my old absent mind. Yes, I couldn't find the car one day in Tesco. <laughs> Had the shopping but couldn't find the car. Could you beat it? No, you couldn't. Anyway, coming up after two on late lunch, if you're a prospective parent or you're a parent and you need some advice, Dr. Mary O'Kane is here. She's simply brilliant. But we're heading to news and weather at two o'clock. Ah, it's dusty. Son of a preacher, man. Lovely, lovely. We posed the question yesterday on the show just to go back uh, about payphones. Were there any in the area? And Pat was on to say that there's one outside JJ Matthews shop on Crushard Avenue in Drogheda. You know something? I go in there regularly and you know what? There is one. <laughs> and here am I sitting yesterday and they all got... I don't know whether it's working, but a payphone in Crushford Avenue in Drogheda, whether it works or not. Thanks indeed for getting in touch with us yesterday afternoon. Just got that towards the end of the show. Said I'd mention it today. Now, Dr. Mary O'Kane is a lecturer in psychology and early childhood education, a frequent contributor about parenting matters on TV and radio. She's now committed her expertise and knowledge to print in a new book with a most appropriate title, Perfectly Imperfect Parenting. Mary, lovely to talk to you again. 
Hi, Jerry. So lovely to talk to you. How are you? I'm really good. And thanks for joining us on the late lunch. I remember we met here in person in the past and I really enjoyed our conversation. Let me say this for and I, you know, books are one of our fortes on late lunch, it has to be said. And I've seen many in the parenting field over my time here. Congratulations. It's a great book. Oh, thank you so much, Cherry. You know, it's like having a baby. You kind of, you, you're all this time, you know, you're pregnant first thing and then this baby. And I feel like I was putting my little baby out into the world. But it's got a lovely response. I'm so happy now. Ah, uh, no, I'm not surprised. Let me put this to you to start. You know, there's no training for this. You know, a pregnancy happens, baby is on the way, mum and dad or whoever who will be minding and looking after the child for life have no pre-training and most of us have inherited probably any aspects of parenting from our parents and if they're not the best, we're self-perpetuating problems, Mary. How do you respond to that? Oh, Jerry. well, you know funny thing is, I think as well, we're put under so much pressure nowadays as parents. Like when I think back to maybe my mum's generation or my granny or whatever, I don't think they were put under the same pressure because I think society puts particularly mothers under this pressure at the moment. You have to be absolutely perfect. And then what starts? Only the guilt. You think, oh, I'm supposed to be this perfect parent. I'm supposed to do everything absolutely perfectly. And if I get anything wrong, I'm going to damage my child. And we then feel so guilty. But we're human. And that's one of the things in the book I keep saying. If we really put ourselves under this pressure to be absolutely perfect, we forget that we are human. And we're kind of setting our up to fail and then we have this guilt and whatever but if we can step back and say to ourselves you know what being perfect is not necessarily what our children need what do they need they need our love they need connection they need to know that we're sort of we're on their side and that's much more important important than this completely ideal that we have in our heads. Well, you know something, you've reassured me and I feel much calmer now when I think back to my childhood and growing up and the the, the fist I made of my own children, now having grandchildren. But you're right, there wasn't as much pressure uh, many moons ago. But look, I've been through the book and enjoyed it immensely. I picked out aspects of it to talk to you about today. Yeah. Love and affection in a happy home. I suppose we can't stress that enough. It is the basis for everything, Mary. Oh, Jerry, it absolutely is. It really is. And the book is all about the different areas of social and emotional development because I think that's what we really want. You know, sometimes when our kids go to school and we start to think, oh my gosh, they better be getting getting all their tables right on a Friday and you know their spelling tests and whatever. But at the end of the day, that's not what we really want them. We want, I think, as parents, them to grow up to be confident and have good self-esteem and to be feel strong and capable and independent you know like we hate the thought of them leaving us as they get older but we want to have them strong enough to fly away from us and always know they can come back and how to, the book sort of outlines how we can go about trying to do that because I think sometimes we particularly in modern day we kind of try to control them a little bit you know, so we're kind of trying to 
I think we've got scared, Kerry. We've got scared of the world. And that because we got scared of it, we think of all these dangers out there in the world. We've become overprotective and we kind of try to control them. You know the way they talk about helicopter parenting mm. and lawnmower parenting and all this stuff? Mm. But, and I know, oh my gosh, I'm as guilty of it as the next woman now. I really am. But I think if we can step back and look at what we're doing and instead of controlling them, I talk about seeing ourselves as scaffolding on a building. So we see our child as this building under construction and we're the scaffolding with our love and our connection. We're supporting them, but we want them to be independent. So we need to know when to step back and sort of give them that little push to get out there into the world and fly. And that independence begins because you lay out this book lovely from the earliest age right through to the teens. And early on in the book, you talk about chores and you give a breakdown from the age of two to three uh, right up into the teenage years of what really they should be helping out with. Why is that important to have your children, you know, involved and doing those chores? Oh, well, Jerry, it's funny you pick on that because the research really does show that kids who do chores when they're little and they start them as young as they can right the way up become those confident children who, when they're older, they feel independent. Now, Jerry, I must just tell you something here, and you probably read it in the book. I remember with my own son, and I remember when my kids were little, and I had my eldest would have been in maybe in about first class. My little boy was going to junior infants, and I had the baby on the hip. And my little boy used to come down every morning like a little prince and he would come down and he would put his shoes beside him at the bottom of the stairs velcro shoes and i would come along like an idiot open the shoes from close them and put them on him like i was running around frantically and i was doing jobs for him that he could have done for himself yeah. and i remember one day thinking to myself what are you doing he is so capable but i was kind of giving him the message that i didn't think he was capable or, or maybe i thought i'm better than you i can do the job faster or quicker or whatever And I think as parents, if we stand back and say, you know what, our children are more capable than we give them credit for, anything they're capable of doing, really encourage them to do, whether it's making their sandwiches for their lunches or, you know, getting up or getting dressed or even older ones, letting them walk to the local shop for us, giving them the money and letting them go and, and, you know, do that task. The more they do these tasks and chores, the more they realize, hey, you know what? I can do whatever I want. I'm strong, I'm confident, I'm capable. Jerry, that's a wonderful message to give them for life. Yes, and you know, there's you know, you're right there. We we tend to do too much. And I love that in the book that in through each chapter you call on your own experience and you lay bare there your own time with your <laughs> own children. It's great. Now the, the word you mentioned a moment ago there is resilience. And yeah. in one of your tips in the book, this is important I think to focus on for a moment. You say next time your child says they can't do something, whether it's their math homework, uh, riding their bike or learning a new sport, try adding the word yet instead of say instead of I can't do this. Always say yet. Now, that really uh, resonated with me. 
on Jerry, do you know, it's a handy little tip. See, I've tried to do this in the book. I lecture in psychology and I love psychology, but I know a lot of parents don't really want to read the heavy psychology books. Mm. So I've tried to get little bits of psychology research and put them in a really parent-friendly way and then say, okay, so what does this mean? Now, that idea comes from a, a thinking called growth mindset. And the idea is when our children, and they, you know, they do it, but I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and by just adding the word yes, it makes them realize, okay, you know, yeah, you can't do that yet, but look how strong and capable you are with a little more practice. If you go over it a few times, you know, maybe maybe it'll take you a little bit of time till you're a bit older, but you will be able to do it. And again, you're showing them that we're all learning. Sometimes, Jerry, our kids are our, particularly our teenagers now, they get and um, they see mistakes as failure. And they see, oh, this is devastating if I get something wrong. What we want them to learn is mistakes are learning experiences. So yeah, you might have got it wrong this time, yeah. but what have we learned? You will get there. We want them to know you you know you can't do it. Yes, you will be able. You're you're you will be able, you're capable. A little more practice, a little more perseverance, and you will get there. Again, it's such a good message. To, we really want them to develop this strength and this inner confidence. Mm. So it's important how we treat them and how we interact with them in enabling them to grow up strong and resilient. That resilience then uh, prepares them to deal with anxiety. And you deal with this brilliantly, yeah. may I say. And I'm just looking at one of the pages here. I did a dog ear too. Uh, avoid avoidance, it says. And in, yeah. in the context of this, I just want to again quote from it. It says the best way to help children overcome anxiety isn't to remove all the stressors that trigger it. Instead, it's to support them to face the situations that make them afraid. That is nugget gold advice. Oh, thank you, Jerry. It's funny, Jerry. I give an awful lot of talks for parents. I'm doing online webinars at the moment. Actually, if anybody's interested, my website, drmarioocane.ie, they can find out about the talks, but also about the book. But I do all these talks for parents about supporting anxious children. And one of the things that I find, and one of mine struggles with anxiety, Jerry, so I'm living the dream here, is we tend to rescue them. We tend to help them avoid the things that make them anxious. Oh, but it's a really dangerous game to play, Jerry, because the more we help them avoid, the more they retreat. Instead, what we want to do is support them with tools. If we put the tools in place that help them cope with anxiety, and then we encourage them to move outside their comfort zone, oh my gosh, it really helps our anxious children, Jerry. And a huge number of our children today really struggle with anxiety. The numbers are really high. They are indeed. Now, the online world has a lot to do with that stress. And, you know, as parents, I've heard it here time and again. It's one of the most difficult things. How do we manage this new world that they all move in? Now, you talk about it extensively as well, which is brilliant. And, you know, you're against this thing of saying you're limited to your time. You can only do so much here. You're more to the point of view that, adding in something to replace the the lesser time in the online world. You might explain that. Yeah. So the idea of time, now I'm not saying don't control the time, don't leave them on it all the time, but it's kind of more complex than that. And sometimes as parents, we do it again. I know I've done it myself. I'm thinking, okay, I'm limiting the time, but instead knowledge is power. What are they doing online? That's 
probably more important than the time they're spending. But you know when you're trying to get them off the online activity, and we sometimes go, you, 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 you will get off that now. You will not do that anymore. Instead, if we start trying to replace real-life activities, perfect timing now is we're opening up, as life is opening up for our teenagers again. So encourage them to get out there with their friends. Encourage them into sports. The training all started up the other day. Try and put other things in their life. So as well as limiting their time, you're also encouraging them to add more to the day. And the more they add face-to-face to their day, the less time they're left with online. These, actually, the research does show, Jerry, the, the kids who spend longer online, and we're not really sure why, but they are the ones who are, the, the jury's out on exactly why, but they are the ones that report higher levels of anxiety. But again, knowledge is power. As parents, I think, if we only focus on how long they're online, we're, we're leaving ourselves open. So I kind of go through things in the book that things that we need to educate ourselves about, and then we can cope better in supporting them. I love the way you've uh, brought the scientific end of this to the level of myself and the ordinary woman and man in the street. You've done it brilliantly. The science combined with your own experiences and advice from parents as well who've been through a lot of this. I say it again, it's terrific. Remind them where they can get it, Mary. Well, the website is probably the best place. You can get it on Amazon, but on my own website, I'm doing the same as Enda. I'm sending out all the signed copies and little bookmarks and stuff for for parents. And that's www.drmaryokane.ie. And the same thing, I'll have it in the post to you tomorrow. That's probably the best place. Lovely. Now, before you go, I just want to tell you, I've had a thought as we've been speaking here. Normally, I give my copy away to a listener today, but I do know somebody who could really do it this book today. So I'm going to give my copy of Perfectly Imperfect Parenting Connection, Not Perfection by Dr. Mary O'Connor to our Justice Minister and Meath East TD, Helen McEntee, who gave birth to her first child, a baby boy, earlier today. So it's going to Helen Ah. McEntee from (laughs) us here on Late Lunch. What do you think, Mary? Is that a good call? Oh, Jerry, that's absolutely lovely. And it's funny you mention her, having only given up work yesterday. And yeah. I did the same with my youngest. There I was working go. the day before I, <laughs> I gave birth. So I laughed this morning when I heard you'd given birth. I thought, oh, I can relate to that one. Oh, so that's a lovely idea to give it to a new mum. There's a lovely connection between the two as well. Fantastic, <laughs> Mary. You're a, you're really a, a tonic. And I've enjoyed our conversation today. And I wish you all the best with the book. Thank you so much, Sherry, for having me on. Take care. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's uh, the wonderful Dr. Mary O'Kane there and her new book. It's uh, terrific. It really is. The Minister. Yes, I'm sending it to the Minister. I'm. Uh, she, she, she'll be delighted. I've been thinking of her today and we send her her congratulations again. I know she's been congratulated many times on her local radio station, but from Louise and myself here on Late Lunch. Uh, well done to yourself, Helen, your husband and your new baby boy. Well, today there is light. There really is. And there will be light when the Taoiseach uh, speaks from the steps of uh, the Houses of the Iraq this this evening, I'm sure, on 6-1 News. He'll outline uh, the loosening of restrictions. Now, look, the way this comes out, we generally know in advance everything. There's usually maybe a surprise or two held back. But uh, it's a good day, Louise, isn't it? After all the 
darkness of uh, the lockdown since Christmas. It's been a long run. It's, it's been, been a long, long run we'll since Christmas time. And folks, I want to say this again. Are the conspiracy theorists, they're on to me here. I see the messages coming in regular on WhatsApp or text who don't believe in any of this or vaccines or anything. Vaccination is the way out of this. It can be seen already with the numbers, with the uh, age categories of vulnerable and people who are vulnerable from a health point of view are healthcare workers on the front line. The numbers, wow, way down with the vaccinations. Vaccination is the way out. And the more people that are vaccinated, the better and the quicker we'll get back to a sense of normality. Just looking at the list here, Louise, um, inter-county travel lifted from the 10th of May. I might get a bit of Mayfly fishing in there. Might be nowhere to stay, but we'll think about that down the road. But that's great to hear. Personal services, the barbers, the hairdressers, beauty salons, uh, bookings. You know, ladies always booked anyway. Us lads usually did the walk-ins, you know, but you'll have the to book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bookings were, were always there. There come 10th of May for those. Click and collect services with full retail opening, uh, they believe, the following week, the 17th of May. Training beginning in pods of 15 for adults. So that'll get the adult teams back as well. 50 people at mass. You know, public worship is back again. Household visits will be allowed with three households in uh, the back garden uh, unless people are fully vaccinated. Well, I'd be fully vaccinated in two more weeks, please, God. You'd be Um, going around house to house. (laughs) (laughs) What's that thing they used to do around the pubs at Christmas? The rent, the rent. <laughs> no, go around. What was it? They used to do the ten, not the twelve pubs oh, yeah, at Christmas. Wasn't yeah. that thing? I'll be doing <laughs> the twelve. I'll be doing houses. the the twelve back gardens in May. <laughs> I'll be doing myself. Um, May seventeen, yes, retail, and then June the second, hotels, guest houses, and B and Bs are to open on that day, and they can serve food and drinks uh, indoors to residents. Indoors. June the 2nd, hotels, guest houses and B&Bs, pubs and restaurants can serve outdoors from the 7th of June. Uh, and there'll be no distinction between, you know, the Maya pizza for nine quid or having just the beer. There'll be no distinction between those. That was the greatest load of poppycock yeah. I ever uh, came across in my life. Anyway, understand what are you most looking forward to, Louise Walsh? Hairdressers. Woohoo! <laughs> Nearly looking for she'll a farmer in the door with cheers. And she'll come in the door and I'll say, hello, you shouldn't be in here. Who are you? Uh, it's been a long... I don't think I've got my hair done yeah, since early yeah. December. Do you know what? I'm, I'm looking forward. I really am looking forward to extending the wings with the fishing, with the inter-county travel. You know, being able to go to yeah. the Great Lakes and do some fishing and... Oh, a pint in a pub or outside a pub, <laughs> whatever, with the boys. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, my God. Never would I have thought, if I go back to March of 2020, mm. that we wouldn't be together all this time or for a chat and an old crack and the slagging and the banter and everything that goes on. I'm looking forward to that. Those are the things. What are you looking forward to, folks, today with the easing of restrictions? It is a great day and it's going to be announced this evening and you'll hear it all officially from the Taoiseach, Michal Martin. What are you looking forward to most? Louise, the hair. Myself, the fishing in the pub. (laughs) 
<laughs> what are you fishing looking in for? The pub. Just <laughs> well, oh, the Jesus, pub. <laughs> they, I'll tell you, the fishing that happens in, the, happens in the pub, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> and as well as that, the trout get bigger as the night goes on. <laughs> and there's more of them. The ones that got away. <laughs> Greatest liars in the world, Anglers. Liars, total liars. But sure, it's part of the crack, it really is. Anyway, what are you most looking forward to? 086 1800 658. Come on, tell us this afternoon on late lunch. 086 1800 658. WhatsApp or text me for the crack. What are you really looking forward to now that the uh, the dawn has come? The dawn has come. It really has. Let us know. 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. Let's go local for the music now. Taking us to our next break. It's the wonderful ham sandwich. With the pint. From Kells. <laughs> the ham sandwich and a pint. Oh, be God. Now you're talking. Thank you, John. He's listening in Beliva this afternoon. Said, Jerry, I really enjoyed your conversation with Ender O'Doherty. So interesting and inspiring. I'm certainly getting the book and recommending it to friends. Thanks indeed, John, for that lovely message. What will you do with opening up? Margaret Madden. Hello, Margaret, our book reviewer. She says, both Margaret and me, that's yours truly, will be vaccinated and we can have a garden party. We can indeed. Oh, Margaret loves our garden too, I have to say. Uh, Jerry, I'm looking forward to going to Penny's and buying new tea towels. I just adore the simplicity of that comment. It's beautiful. Wexford, Jerry, can't wait to see my grandchildren, daughter and her husband. Another one there saying, yes, Jerry, to see my grandchildren, to hug and kiss them. Uh, I'm also looking forward to getting the hair done like Louise and a nice glass of wine with friends. Ellis says I'm so happy because there's a chance I'll be able to go home to Poland for my dad's 70th birthday I hope you do uh, Dared is getting a vaccination next week and looking forward to the hairdressers too can't get wait to get back to the swimming pool says another listener there Jerry, thank God it's coming to an end I have to lose weight says another listener and so on they go thank you for your comments keep them coming to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text once a month this year 2021 we're turning the clock back 100 years to 1921 the focus is April today with historian Sean Collins hello again Sean Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining me on the show. Now, last month, month March, the uh, the killings were horrendous on both sides. I recall that from our conversation. Did it ease off a bit in April? Uh, very, very little. Um, in the full six months of the year, in excess of a thousand people were killed. Hmm. In April, for the month, 142 uh, people were shot named, uh, bombed, uh, RAC, IRA men, soldiers, ex-soldiers, children, civilians, women, men. A poor Pachian maker from Scottstown in County Monaghan was murdered. And on the very first day of the month, on the 4th of April, Hugh Duffy, uh, a former RAC man, was murdered in Rakari in, in County Monaghan. So to understand the madness of the time, um, you know, set against the backdrop, I should point out, while all this murder and mayhem was going on, secret negotiations were going on in the background between intermediaries of Arthur Griffith and Lloyd George with the idea of bringing about a truce. Uh, the truce didn't come until June, and by that time, in excess of a thousand people were dead. Uh, they even argued in their endeavours to negotiate a truce, causing given time for more murders to take place. Uh, when you reviewed the country at the time, 
um, the Government of Ireland Act came in on the 19th of April, which created uh, the state of Northern Ireland. Uh, the King, at the opening of the Parliament, made a very conciliatory speech asking all Irishmen uh, and women uh, to try and achieve peace, to walk within the new framework. I suppose as an appeasement to the uh, perceived uh, Catholic majority in the country, for the first time uh, since 1685, the Lord Lieutenant appointed Viscount Fitzalan of, of Derwent was a Catholic. Imagine they hadn't appointed a Catholic in over 300 years. Mm. Uh, now they were appointing a Catholic at last to try and appease the whole notion of Government of Ireland Act. Um, but all around there was mayhem. Uh, that's the only way I can describe it. And Sean, uh, Sean, can I ask you this? Was there um, an acceptance that partition was going to happen? Or was there still hope of, you know what I mean, home rule? Or was all that gone out the window at this stage that Ireland could, you know, be independent as a whole? Well, you know, Jerry, uh, home rule went from the statute books in 1914, mm. uh, but was never managed to be implemented. Uh, the Government of Ireland Act was the first political instrument that divided uh, the country into a 26-county, six-county un- units. Mm. Uh, but that was seemingly ignored uh, by the uh, radical Republicans, uh, predominantly in the South, uh, and they continued with a war, Government of Ireland Act or no Government of Ireland Act. There was no uh, settling. Uh, in Dublin alone, can you imagine this? There were 67 attacks on Crown forces of various descriptions. So, you know, if you were walking up Grafton Street to Bewley's uh, to get a cup of coffee, uh, chances were a gun battle would break out in your company. Um, and that was happening everywhere. All sorts of mayhem was going on. Uh, you know, even maybe on a lighter note, the type of thing that was happening apart from the killings, you know, one newspaper reported that large quantities of clothing belonging to auxiliaries and military officers in Dublin Castle and other barracks throughout the city were seized in Milltown and Dundrum laundries and destroyed. These operations were repeated weekly all over the city until the enemy stopped sending its soil clothes to the laundries. You know, that's the yes. kind of madness that was going on. Uh, roads were being dug up uh, anywhere that, uh, you know they could create some type of mayhem, they were at it. And it was on both sides, you know. Um, Mead in April opened up with a man called Frank Doerr, an ex-British soldier, was shot on the road to Navar outside Navan. Uh, Frank and John Carlin from Brinestown were charged before a court-martial in Dublin with having arms and explosives at their house in Brownstown. Uh, a group of policemen... Uh, Travelling to Trim at Kildarki were ambushed and held under heavy fire. Fortunately, there were no casualties, but rifles and bombs were used in the attack. The police were travelling from the Hill of Down to Trim when they were ambushed. Mm. Uh, an announcement came that the dreaded auxiliaries were appointed uh, into Ireland as a support to the Black and Tans, who had been put, appointed as a support to the RAC. And Mead was one of the places where the auxiliaries were placed. Um, 
on one Monday, one Saturday morning, uh, the police visited all the shops in Navan, posted a notice of a ban on all fairs and markets as a reprisal for roads being dug up and damaged. Uh, Old Castle and Dulic were the only two places they exonerated, so they obviously went digging up the roads in Dulic. But on the Monday morning at the Fair Green in Navan, uh, there was a heavy occupation of police and troops to enforce um, the um, stoppage on the markets. Mm. Uh, in County Loud, it was no different. Raids were taking place in Termon, Fecken, Clotterhead, Dunleo. Uh, locals were being arrested and taken away for interrogation, seeking information. Uh, a kind of a, another light-hearted story uh, was in they were attacking um, or trying to do damage to officials and the, the British administration, effectively. In Drogheda, uh, three IRA men uh, kidnapped the rape collector, Mr. Gannon, and they brought him to a secluded spot outside the town uh, and made him write a cheque for £2,500 from the rates account, which they wanted to hand over to the government of the Republic. So he wrote the cheque. And they kept them at gunpoint until one of them went into the Hibernian Bank at the Tonsil in Drogheda uh, and cashed the cheque and got the money and left. Uh, he passed that money on to uh, James Murphy, who was the Sinn Féin councillor, who was chairman of the Loud County Council. Uh, and Murphy lodged it into another bank account in Dundalk. Now, imagine the days. They, they obviously didn't have to waste. Uh, seven walking days to get a cheque cash that was done on the spot. Uh, but once they had the cash, they released Mr. Gannon. Uh, Murphy went on to Dundalk and lodged the money in, a, in an account there. Um, the following day, uh, the clothing premises of Augustine Murphy, who had been an uncle of James Murphy, was raided. And James Murphy was arrested while serving a customer because he walked in the shop. Uh, it was pointed out by the paper uh, this was the fifth time he had been arrested, and it wouldn't be the last time, I assure you. His MI5 file in London said that Morphy was the most active Sinn Féinor in County Louth. Uh, he went on to be uh, the first um, TD uh, from the town mm. and uh, held uh, the post until the 1930s. Survived seven uh, general elections, which I always thought was a remarkable record. Mm. Uh, the railway station at Drogheda was regularly raided. The Dublin trains were stopped and raided, and young men particularly were being uh, arrested on the trains, taken off and held up and brought for interrogation. Malahide suffered the same fate, uh, moving into Balbriggan. Uh, the police were fired at in Bridge Street on a Saturday. Uh, two civilians were shot at and wounded badly on Drogheda Street on the Sunday. Uh, the road between uh, uh, out, uh, Balach outside Balbriggan, uh, the RIC were attacked. And at Clochran, uh, the military called on a police uh, convoy to stop. And the police convoy didn't hear it. So the military opened up on the police convoy, killing the district inspector and wounding two of his police constables. Wow. So you can imagine the 
Yes. The nervousness, uh, yeah. the yeah. flash or the concern that was in the air, they were effectively shooting at each other. Yeah. And that was the, mm. I, I think that perhaps best portrays yes. the situation the country was in, what was going on at the time. Mm. Oh, it's fractious to say the least when you think about it, all going on every day. And, you know, we have problems in April 2021, but back then when you consider and take on board all you've mentioned there in our local counties and outside the borders as well and right through the country. £2,500 is a lot of money, I can tell you, for a cheque to be cashed and uh, have that amount of money moving about. It just shows you incredible, incredible stuff uh, this time 100 years ago. Sean, I have to leave it there for today. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Very good, Jerry. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Take care. Sean Collins there. Brilliant grasp, hasn't he, on history and uh, the area here. 100 years ago, April 1921. Awful, awful times. Sean will be back in the month of May updating us as to what happened here and beyond uh, that time a century ago. There's a listener bursting for pennies to open. Hi, Jerry. I can't wait until pennies open to get a new bra. Because all my bras are too small for me. Ooh, that's not Dimpnet that was on the ad there with Hoy's DIY, is it? No. Oh, could it be that there were three went to Dubai, not two, and one of them got the job done? Oh, you'll devil ya. Anyway, pennies, all sizes for all ladies coming to your main street soon and opening again. Oh, people can't wait for pennies. Thanks for your message. Got us thinking for sure in late lunch this afternoon. We move on. Eva McPartland is Education Officer with the Animal Rehabilitation Hospital in County Meath and she's on the line. Hello again, Eva. Hiya, Jerry. How's it going? Good. Thank you for joining me. You have a special appeal and it's to do with the time of the year. Tell us what's up. Yeah, we have seen a huge influx into the hospital um, of baby birds and other small animals. And this is a season that we we call orphan season. And it's just because of that reason. So what's happening is people are seeing little birds in their garden that can't fly. And that's absolutely fine. They can't fly, but they're learning to fly. So they're very healthy and they're just exercising their wings and they're hopping around and learning to fly. But unfortunately, people who are very good and very well-meaning, so I don't want to take that away from anybody, um, they are lifting the birds and putting them into a box and bringing them to the hospital because they think they're injured. So that's the problem we are having at the moment. And it is a very good time to mention it because I, I, I cite my own example. I have starlings in the fascia just outside my back door and I love them there. We watch them and I hear the little ones. They're there. You know, there's uh, small birds in the nest at the moment. But as you say, I've seen this in the past. You ask yourself, how do they get from a fascia, you know what I mean, out and into the world? And I've seen that. They drop to the ground, actually, when they're big enough. And if you went in too soon, you're destroying Mother Nature's cycle. Mm, that's exactly it, Terry. And the thing about it is that their parents are always watching. So yeah. their parents will still continue to feed. And they'll come in and out and they're keeping an eye. So you can imagine poor Mammy Blackbird or Starling, in your case, is sitting on the fence and somebody just puts their baby in a box and walks away. Ah, yes. So look, at don't intervene too soon. Just take your time. This is what you're saying. Step back, Mm. let things happen for a day or two. And after that, really, they should be gone and on their way. 
That's it, exactly. And if it's a lovely thing to observe, even if you have the time, because you'll see them going from hopping around and then they'll probably be able to fly up onto your garden furniture. And then before you know it, they're up on the fence and they're gone. And it literally only takes a matter of days. So it's worth watching because it's really lovely to see anyway, you know. Mm. We were out for a walk ourselves the weekend and we came across a little baby rabbit that seemed to be absolutely lost. And there was panic stations. Well, I just took the rabbit and put it safely into a ditch where it wasn't out in the open. Now, look, it looked to be struggling a little bit. But we have to say as well, at times, Mother Nature takes her course and this predation on different species as well. That's part and parcel of it, Aoife. It is. It's the whole cycle, Terry. And I mean, you know, if we were to kind of lift everything and try and save everything, then there will be a lot of other creatures that are starving out there as well, you know. So, um, yeah, it is a cycle. But we would say to people, I mean, you know, if you really did think the animal was in dreadful distress or pain in any way, by all means, give us a call and we can talk you through it and let you know if it does need to be rescued. Uh, it is a time of year of plenty because birds are breeding, rabbits, all manner of creature. Uh, is your workload on the increase? It is indeed. We were just talking about that this morning. Since we opened on the 19th of February, we've taken 1,600 calls to the helpline. So that's a lot of calls in a short space of time. It's And they're monstrous. increasing by the day. It's huge. I can't believe that number. Well, do you want to give it again and have another 1,600? <laughs> yeah, absolutely sure. Why not? 0818 Okay, so that's uh, again 0818 That is the number if you're concerned. And often, you know, uh, without visiting you, you there, it, it's best to make a call and get advice because sometimes visits or taking in creatures is not absolutely necessary. That's it, exactly. And it puts a huge resource, um, you know, to, to taxing um, on taxes on our resources in terms of our staff and our, you know, even our electricity and our food and our space, especially um, when we have lots of healthy little animals in there that don't need to be there. And they're very stressed as well. And often they will die of stress, whereas if they'd been left and let get on with things, they would be out there and they'd be fine. So I think if you have any worries at all, just give our number a call. And the girls are absolutely amazing and the guides on the helpline and they can talk you through it. Well, look, you're doing a great job. You really are. And I'll give that number again in a moment. Sound advice today. Give the little creatures times as they fledge or flush or whatever. And then if you're concerned, you can take it from there. You're doing great work. 0818 the uh, Animal Rehabilitation Hospital in County Meath. Aoife, thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you indeed. Um, my listener with the bra issue in a mad hurry for pennies to open is back to me and she gives me her name and she says, by the way, I just want to say, I don't need to go to Dubai. They're all natural. The, so- the sooner <laughs> pennies opens, the better. Hmm. Uh, there you go. You got your answer there, Jerry. Mm, I'm <laughs> flushed in the cheeks here. Uh, Magella. <laughs> Stuck to the floor is the word I use. <laughs> the mind, the mind is a strange thing, Magella. You know what I mean? It really, really is. Anyway, pennies, will you just look after her as soon as you can and get them doors open and make sure you have big bras, plenty of them in stock as well. She'll be in in a hurry. Uh, Babs has been on to say, Jerry, I'm looking forward to a bit of normality. I'll take whatever comes my way. Good philosophy. Good outlook on life as well. Yes, Ireland is opening up. The Taoiseach will speak this evening and we know a lot of it, but we will be listening and 
hanging on every word. Thank you indeed for all your messages to the show today. Really appreciate them. Uh, Jerry. your interview with Enda brought back memories. I stopped drinking cold turkey just like him. The first 15 years were hard, but I do agree with him. Get help, it's out there. I had my last drink at half past two on the 6th of January 1972 in the Jockey's Pub in Dundalk. Next year, I'll be 50 years off it. I'm not saying it will be easy, but it can be done with a lot of effort and help. Congratulations, Tommy. Well done to you. See that? He remembers the hour, the day and the time, just like Enda O'Doherty. Now, my artists of the week this week on Late Lunch are the wonderful Thin Lizzy. And as I mentioned to you yesterday, it all ended for them in the 80s and with Lizzie no more Phil Linnett formed a new band called Grand Slam, which really went nowhere. They didn't even get a recording contract. He did have a solo hit single, however, with Out in the Fields along with Gary Moore in 1985. And he was planning a third solo album and on getting Lizzie back together. But sadly, Phil Linnett died on the 4th of January 1986. He was only 36. Shocking. And it was because of multiple organ failure and his dependency on drugs. It was the end of any prospect of a reunion of the band with the main man gone. Scott Gorham, yes, he's been involved in a number of reincarnations and there have been a number of tributes. But nothing will ever recapture the original Lizzie in their pomp in the 70s and 80s. And here is an example of what I'm talking about. Yeah, Dancing in the Moonlight from the album Bad Reputation 1977 from Thin Lizzy, my artist of the week this week. And you can dance in the moonlight all this week, provided the cloud stays away, because there's a super moon in the skies. I mentioned it to you on Monday and it's there and you can dance away and put that track on and enjoy yourself. I bring the curtain down on the Lizzy story tomorrow on Late Lunch with, uh, well... It is, I think, the defining Thin Lizzy song. Thanks indeed for all your messages to the show. Chris has been on to say, any word on live music returning outdoors to pubs, even one-man shows, many places have facilities to set up a musician outdoors. Uh, There's a lot of talk about large-scale events, but what about the pub singer, says Chris? Well, look, watch this space. We'll know more uh, when we get the finer details of what's opening up this evening. I just heard uh, heard there in the news um, the Minister for Health Mr. Donnelly, uh, uh, striking a cautious note going into the meeting, you know, just to temper things down. I think we've run away with ourselves perhaps a little bit in all that's expected to happen. But let's see. Let's see. There's great hope and it looks good anyway for uh, the month of May and beyond. With the lifting of restrictions and the announcement imminent, more appropriate can it be? Sinead Burke takes a look at life for us on a regular basis here on LMFM's Late Lunch. And this is so timely. Here is Sinead, and uh, you'll understand why I say it's timely in a moment, with uh, her little look this day on Late Lunch called The Cat That Got Married. For the lack of something better to do, last weekend we married the cat. It was a lovely do, all things considered, and as is the secret of big occasions, the key to the success of the day was all in the planning. The youngest Burke child threw herself into the multiple roles of wedding coordinator, photographer, wedding guest and stylist for both bride and groom. 
It was my job to play music at the appropriate times from my phone. The cat, it has to be said, was a reluctant groom. However, his bride, the doll who had the longest hair and the cleanest dress, beamed throughout from underneath her toilet paper veil. My daughter and I wore fascinators during the ceremony, but took them off for the sweets afterwards. All things considered, it was a lovely way to pass an hour. Because, honest to God, wouldn't you be worn out doing nothing? And the same nothing, over and over again. I think it's safe to say the novelty has long gone off this pandemic. This time last year, we were faced with a simple and clear binary choice. Go out and act the maggot and you would endanger not only your own health, but those closest to you. Staying in and being good would save the country. Most of us heard the call and swore, hands solemnly placed over our Easter lily pins, that we would do our duty for Ireland. When our grandchildren asked, what was it we did during the great pandemic? What was our crucial contribution to the effort? We would sit that much straighter and prouder in the armchair and announced, I stayed at home, watched Netflix and ordered skips. And it was an honour to do it. But that was then and this is now, over a year later. While the main news story has stayed the same, it has been the occasional variations in the headlines that have demoralised quite a few of us while we've cleaned out presses and sorted out messy drawers. Vaccination queue jumping, golf do's and travel don'ts, meagre funerals and ever-changing roadmaps. And has even ever one minister tried to buy clothes for a growing child in the last year? A slab of lager is deemed essential. How about a pair of leggings aged 10 to 12? In a similar progress to grief, or perhaps it is grief, grief of our former lives, our mental health progress during this time has come in defined stages. First there was panic, we all remember the toilet roll rush, then resolve, when we decided to be big and brave for Ireland and clapped at our gates for a while because we were all in together and fair play to the frontline workers. After a while we entered resentment and frustration, as it dawned on us that actually, no, we weren't as in it together as we thought. And as per flippin' usual, there were those who didn't think the rules applied to them. And now I think that we've arrived at the second last COVID chapter. Being fed up and running out of things. I've run out of clothes for the kids. I've run out of things to watch on television and podcasts to listen to. I've run out of patience with colleagues who even now don't know how to use Zoom correctly. I've run out of areas of the house to paint and clean and tidy. I've run out of gossip and news and small talk. I've run out of enthusiasm for trying out new recipes. I'm fed up of minding my head and as God is my witness, I will punch Joe Wicks if I ever meet him in real life. I have a pain in my face sitting on the couch every night. And I'm fed up joking about getting dressed up to go to Aldi. There was a while there, perhaps in stage two, the period known as the time of resolve, when I really felt I might be a better person coming out of this. I would appreciate the little things, value simplicity and lead a more mindful and calmer existence. That ship of smugness has long sailed. I want to lick people. I want to stand three deep at a bar and yell out an order for shots. I want to buy all round me in pennies and contribute to landfill. I want to go to dinner with my husband. I want to bring my kids out for the day and buy them every last piece of rubbish they want. 
I want to see people's faces. Look at lads, we're nearly there. The next chapter in the COVID story is freedom and it's coming. And when it does, the shots are on me. But be warned, I will lick you. Yes, indeed. Sinead, we'll all lick each other, I think. Brilliant observation and so timely on this day. Hope, hope springs eternal and uh, this evening should bring much greater hope. Sinead, thanks so much for your wonderful observations of life and more from Sinead Burke and Burke's banter anon. Tomorrow in late lunch, our virtuoso of Vino, Rick Cronje is here. He'll get you sorted for the bank holiday weekend. The Marr family have a song for the world teddy bears oh we have lovely lovely something lovely for you tomorrow all about teddy bears and Liam Blanche will be looking ahead to the weekend in sport have a nice evening I'm going to stretch them out golf muscles another nine holes this evening wish me well hope me back holds up anyway you have a good one we leave you in the company of Mr Phil Collins yes you can't hurry love hurry back to us late lunch tomorrow Friday 1.30 see you then the Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211 Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.